0: Hello and welcome. My name is Matt Peterson and this is episode 11 of History on the Table. Okay, well if you can't tell, I'm a little bit under the weather, which has severely hampered my efforts to play as many war games as possible in this week kind of between Christmas and New Year's Day where I usually have off of work. The big thing I was looking forward to was a play of Commissar's House from Advanced Squad Leader using the Red Factories maps, but I had to cancel our game day at the uh, Kansas City SO group. But I'm here. I'm quarantined down in the basement by myself. The wife and kid are excluded and have been spending time with family just stay away from me. But I figured since I'm I'm here, this would be a good time to work on our end of the year show. So a little bit of my plans have changed and what I wanted to get done before the end of the year, uh, but not too much. I will say that this episode is just going to have a little bit different feel and structure to it because I'm going to kind of breeze through our normal segments. I'm also going to take a lot of pauses for water, probably. Um, I apologize for that. Um, and then what I'm going to do is <clears throat> after we get through our kind of usual stuff, I'm going to run through the kind of the best of the year awards, in my opinion, and then share some listener comments. And then finally, we're just going to recalibrate the every war game ever list, uh, add some games, maybe move some stuff around real quick. I said, I want to spend too much time in future episodes talking about historic fest. I do want to add just real quick. This episode will go live, and then you'll just have 10 days or less to get the early bird discount. Um, <clears throat> there's a Facebook group website in the show notes, all those things, but the early bird discount is available through January 10th. A block of rooms is now available. Just let me know if you need any of those details. I'll I'll also add that we had our Kansas City Historical Gaming Group uh, meet up this weekend before last. and i got to say it was a great turnout. It was our largest turnout yet. We had about 14 people either come by to play games or just uh, come by and shoot the shit, and um, it was it was a really good turnout. A whole bunch of games were played. I spent the weekend playing Songrad 42, which we're going to talk about. So it was it was a good turnout. If you want to ever join us at those, we usually meet up monthly. We've been we kind of drop Sundays from the rotation. We now meet monthlies on Saturdays at Tabletop Game and Hobby. Our next meetup is January 18th at Tabletop Game and Hobby. The game we are trying to get played is Onward Christian Soldiers. We've had most of the spots tentatively filled, but if you're at all interested in playing, still let us know just in case anyone drops out. We're trying to get a full seven-player game of that uh, scheduled on the 18th. That's probably it for about, that's probably it for news. Um, so like I said, let's just breeze through kind of the normal segments and then we'll we'll get on with end-of-the-year stuff because I think that'll take a little bit longer um, that I'm allowing myself. Okay. So books on the shelf. Um, there's just one thing I want to talk about. I've been reading or I listened to. I finished The Admirals. Uh, by Walter Bornman. Which is it's his book about the five star admirals. During World War II. Nimitz, Halsey, Leahy, and King. Uh, it was really good. I I haven't read much naval stuff. I haven't played many naval war games. Navy, until I read this book, hasn't been a topic that's <clears throat> caught my eye very much. But I gotta tell you, this book really uh, piqued my interest, not only in uh, learning, reading about uh, you know, more naval conflicts, particularly World War II, but also playing naval games. Uh, so the book it's the book itself was really well written. I will I went in not knowing anything about it. I will tell you this. So I typically like books that go into a lot of detail about different battles or engagements or whatever. Uh, this book really doesn't do that very often. Some battles it gives a little bit more time to, but for example, the Battle of Midway is you know a few sentences in the whole book. Really, this book is more about more of a biography about the admirals and more about the decisions they made and their kind of career paths, um, what they were like, that type of thing. It's not, it's not a battle by battle recount of their military careers. Um, which is kind of what I was expecting, but like I said, I didn't know anything about the book. I think I picked it up in a two for one audible sale or something like that. Ended up being a great purchase. I highly recommend it for what it's worth. I gave it five out of five on Goodreads. I think you wrote some other books about, um, like, I think someone mentioned that there's the generals. Anyways, great book, and it's kind of both piqued my interest in naval wargaming. I actually bought some naval minis and picked up some rules to uh, commands at sea from Clash of Arms. Um, and then it's also piqued my interest in Pacific gaming, and that as well I haven't done a lot of. I, I'd really like to play some Empire of the Sun, um, but we'll see when we can let's get that scheduled. Well, that's about it for Books on the Shelf. So a couple of games I just want to mention. Um, so it's Christmas season, all kinds of goodies. But I did have a very generous War Game Santa and Krampus. Santa sent me a copy of Front Toward Enemy and Krampus sent me a copy of Red Storm. Both games I really wanted to get in 2019, especially Front Toward Enemy. And then especially after listening to um, Chance of Gaming's interview with Doug Bush on Red Storm, uh, both games I, w- I was going to get for sure, uh, front toward enemy had just eluded me for a while. Anyways, both are here. I really look forward to playing both of those in 2020. If you remember, red storm is the same series as downtown and what I talked about in the past was bloody April. It's the same kind of family operational war- uh, airfare game. I was looking forward to that one because my my big complaint with Bloody April was it was just so slow and it wasn't very exciting. I mean, I mean, you're you're flying these little these little airplanes when really what I wanted to be doing was flying jets around. So this is a Cold War gone hot air operational game. If you want to hear a couple guys talk about it who know a lot more about it than I do, go listen to the Chance of Gaming uh, podcast interview with Doug Bush. It was really. Interesting, there's a lot of um, Easter eggs hidden throughout the game. You know, kind of Cold War pop culture stuff hidden in the game. And that that was really cool to hear him talk about that. And then uh, just his knowledge of uh, these different planes. It, it was a great interview. Definitely worth checking out. Okay, yeah, so, so that's it for kind of the, the intro stuff we'd normally cover. What I wanted to do next is go ahead and move straight into our... Discussion of our featured game this week. And so over the past couple of weeks, I've been able to play Stalingrad 42 by GMT Games, designed by Mark Simonich. I've been able to play this solo once, one of the scenarios, and then we played the campaign game at our monthly meetup. So in the past, I've talked about Normandy 44, and I've also, I believe I talked about Holland as well, Holland, I've only played once, and I'll get to it someday, um, but this is the same Mark Semenich series, basically placed 1940X, so there's a Ukraine 43, Stalingrad 42, Arden 44, Holland 44 maybe, and then Normandy 44, and they're, I don't know if I'm missing any. Uh, this particular entry is divisional scale, and it's covering the the axis the axis drive on Stalingrad. This Stalingrad '42 shares that same skeleton, that same framework as all the other games in the series, but I really think he Mark Simonich adds a lot of historical flavor and feel uh, to this entry. Uh, I mean, that's that's one of the great things about Normandy '44. Why I like it so much is it really. I don't know. It it seemed to capture a lot of flavor or a lot of the characteristics of the fighting in Normandy after D Day, and he just did a great job of highlighting key areas and um, just capturing the terrain, all of those things. And I think he's even gone above and beyond Normandy '44 here with Songrad '42, with just the additional chrome he's added. The um, additional supply rules, which we'll talk about, um, the optional rules you can add in and just kind of, I don't know, there's a lot of, it feels like, and I haven't played a lot of East front games. It feels like the East front to me. Um, <clears throat> so what we did, we set up the, so I played the fall Blau scenario, which is a one map scenario at the start of the, um, the scenarios. I think there's four scenarios in the book the campaign scenario is this giant scenario on this beautiful Mark Simonich map. Uh, it covers let's see, one, two, I think there's four or five maps. I want to say four maps for the campaign. We set that up and it started out with uh, a guy named Kevin and I started, and then we were joined by James and his family it ended up being a five player game where the Axis players were basically divided with, between three commanders. I took like the six army and I, I think it's the six pans are in the second army. And then, Basically, we just had a left, middle, and right, and it ended up working really well. That's the nice thing I think about these these Simonich games is, yeah, they're designed for two people, but you know, based off just the little extra information he adds to the counters, you know, this is six Panzer Army, this is seventeenth, all of those things, you can. It's pretty easy to break up. I mean, you could break it up without that information, but it's pretty easy to say, all right, you go take the. The six Panzer and go wild, or you go take the Italians and not really go wild. Uh, so that was nice to be able to do that. I actually think it worked out really well, and it was kind of a chance for uh, three of us had played the system, and two of us were new to it. So it was, it was a nice way to kind of introduce people and not have to worry about this massive front because the campaign game in Stoneground Forty Two is is massive. So we'll talk about the game flow here in a little bit, but in the campaign game base and, and fall Blau, the setup is the same essentially. Um, in the campaign game, you're all basically west of the dawn, and the Russians are dug in in a bunch of fortifications, and it's probably like the first 10 hex columns of this, you know, four map. Campaign, So you're way over to the West and there's just all this open ground behind the Russians. Um, and it's an intimidating map, but it's a map that uh, you can see options. I, which <clears throat> I think Bruce Garrick was alluding to this in his latest episode of why he was so impressed with this game. And it's something that is why I think the U S civil war is one of my favorite games of all time is when you look at the map and you're looking at your armies you can see all of these options available to you. And maybe they're not really that viable for success, but as the Axis player, you have just this vast expanse open to you. What ended up happening in our game is, um, before we were joined by the three other players, is on the northern flank, I was able to kind of hook around... And then I was able to push a pocket in the middle. Now, as a Russian player, I think there's a whole bunch of areas you could advance through. Or as a German player, I'm sorry. There's all all these different ways for you to start out. Um, But I think because the map is so big, it adds a whole lot of replayability to the campaign game. I don't think, I mean, it would be really hard to have the same game play out twice. Because I think pockets and holes are going to develop in different areas. Um, anyway, so, uh, game flow, game rules, this is very similar to any of the games in the series. If you played them before, this is a you go, I go system, which is probably my biggest knock against Songrad 42 is there's a whole lot of counters on the map. And that means there's a lot of downtime for the other players. A little bit of that can be alleviated. Maybe with an optional rule that we didn't play with where you can basically get a chance to avoid combat. Um, maybe that would kill some downtime for the other player anyways. Uh, so the German player, they move all their forces. You can play with optional rule to have three reserves, which basically just move during the combat phase. And then you conduct your combat and then it goes over to the Russian player and then reinforcements come on and you just do that for 30 something turns covering about a six month period. Combat itself is, is straightforward if you've played any of the other series, there's typically a minimum and or a maximum strength factor in your combat. The big thing to note here is it's forty for the attacker and twenty for the defender. Um, in Normandy '44, if you go back and listen to that episode, my biggest knock—and it wasn't a huge knock—against the game was the attacker had a combat factor maximum of eighteen. And based off the terrain advantages in Normandy 44, it was really quick for, or it was really easy for the defender, based off doubling in certain types of terrain and that type of thing, to get to 11 combat defense factors very easily. So if the attacker's maximum is 18, it was really easy for the defender, in my opinion, to get to one-to-one odds on the combat table, which basically meant that... Almost every battle seemed to come down to the same result. You have a one-to-one combat, and the allied player can either add artillery, or air, or naval if they're within the naval range, and that's just kind of how to play it played out um, here. For what we saw, once you know the 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 Russians are dug in on these entrenchments west of the Don, and but once they're out. Combats all over the place I mean the Russians really have to be creative I think in where they draw Their second line of defense Because once the Germans are through um, You have the Don River that they can Fall back to but once you get past that There's a whole A whole lot of open terrain and there's Victory point hexes worth defending In that area and I think I think the, the Russians As the defender have to be a little bit more Choosy than They did in Normandy 44 uh, if that makes sense so uh, again going back combat's just really um, it's odds based and then you can add in air if you're the ger- or the axis and artillery and there are some optional rules for like plan defenses that you can add in for some more modifiers that type of thing the big thing here is the German elite tanks. Uh, those are handy because they give two shifts in the right situations And so basically that's what you're doing is you, you get your combat odds and then you look at all these shifts based off tanks anti-tanks air artillery those type of things and then uh, Kind of characteristic of this system is the determined defense What's interesting here? So a determined defense is you can attempt to ignore the retreat results based off a die roll Um, Until a certain time period, though, only certain Russian forces can conduct their determined defense, which is pretty interesting. Um, Either like the NKVD troops or troops in favorable terrain. So if you catch some Russians out in the open and they're not, you know, diehard commies, then you can negate. I mean, that negates their determined defense, which is going to constantly be pushing them backwards. Uh, until a certain date. Let's see other new things. So, zoc zoc bonds. If this is the whole, this is another trade of the series where, if you have units with one hex in between them, friendly units. So, hex A B C. If I have units in A and C, and B's in the middle, they draw a bond across B that basically blocks movement into B and cuts off supply through B and all those things. Uh, that's still here. You also have this kind of automatic defender shatters where if the attacker during the movement phase has 10 to 1 odds against the defender the defender immediately shatters so they take a step loss and go into full retreat mode and that's that's pretty cool so what about the i i mentioned some unique historical flavor that i think he added to the system let's talk about that um you know the first thing here is there's this new kind of supply system. And it's not it's not the extent of OCS, but basically the Germans are upgrading the rail capacity, the gauge of the Russian rails as they advance forward. Um, and the purpose of those rails is basically to ship supply to artillery support units and HQs. And so as you fire your artillery to get that favorable shift you're going to burn you're going to flip it over and mark it used the only way to market not used is to get supply to it um you can either truck in the supply just a little supply marker that you can drive up to the hq or if the hq is on a rail hex that's in good order um you can flip it over during these basically you get um two points each turn to kind of spend on different things one of those things being like improved fortifications, you can build those with the points, or you can use them for supply for the artillery units. Uh, so I like that. I think it adds this nice little, a little bit of depth to the game. Again, we're not talking the levels of OCS here, but it's it's a nice uh, flavor. Uh, let's see the German air, how they interact. You know, the Germans had air superiority, so they basically, if they're active, they stick with the units through the defensive phase or through uh, breakthrough combat, which I guess is uh, something we should talk about. That's, that's new. I don't think that was in Holland or Normandy. Basically if the attacker gets an advance, um, they can follow it up with a, as long as they have enough advanced points, um, they can follow it up with a breakthrough combat. And if you used air, in the original combat, that air sticks with that breakthrough group to go off and conduct another uh, combat. So, that that was pretty cool. Uh, I'm trying to think about anything else that really stuck out. You know, there's there's optional rules to play with some leaders. You can do, like, a planned offensive. What else? You know, just, just little things like different reserve armies and how they activate. Or... You know, Germans get certain reinforcements once they push south of Rostov and take. There's a port town on the west, and I'm, I'm not gonna think of the name. But basically, that frees up the Blucher group. Um, just, just things like that. And I should have, you know, wrote down. I should have taken notes on what actually really impressed me. But as as I read through the rule book there's a lot of things that's like, oh, that's cool, or oh, that seems to fit these front, you know, really well. Overall. It's probably my favorite. So I've only played three in the series now. I've played Holland, Normandy, and now Stalingrad. I have and I just haven't gotten it to the table yet. This is my favorite, easily. I think replayability-wise, it's through the charts with this one. Just because there's there really does seem to be... I mean, obviously the main goal is Stalingrad. Oh, and one thing I'll add is he introduced... And again, maybe this was in Ukraine a timetable for the germans so and you saw this previously in the u.s civil war where the U- the north has to the union player basically has to capture so many uh, objective hexes uh resource hexes in the south uh to keep time with history and if they fall too far behind they end up losing the game so that's that's in play here for the campaign game is the Germans have to capture so many victory point hexes, and if they fall too far behind, it's an automatic victory for the Russians. So there are things that you should be doing, but you know the the hexes here are ten miles per hex, and you have this huge play area. There's just so much to explore, and I think that there, as the the German player, there's different offenses you could try. Um, you know, where do you really hit hard first? And then as the Russian player, I think just where do you draw your defensive lines? Like how far, you know, so when we played, we got through six and a half turns. um, And that was with a few new players, right? I think we could have made better time, but it is what it is. But as the Russian player, they were constantly, you know, looking at the lines and, all right, where do we, you know, where do we try to make a stand next? And so I think for both sides there's interesting decisions to be made. Another complaint in Normandy was, as the German player, you're just kind of, you know, taking it in the teeth until the game's over. I, I mean, you you could la- launch some counterattacks and stuff like that, but your goal is pretty much clearly defined. You know, hold on to Karn, and I guess don't let Sherbrooke fall, or I guess what I'm trying to say here is, if I was a Russian player, I'm not sure what my strategy would be. I think there would be different different strategies worth exploring. Um, obviously, some are going to be better than others. Uh, cons of the game. The biggest con here is the you-go, I-go. I think as we see systems like BCS develop or, um, or even just like a chip-pull game like Battle Him... Where you're either activating battalions or, you know, brigades or, or whatever you're activating, but instead of this, all right, you activate everything and I just sit there for an hour. Um, that's my biggest knock. But if you play with a good group of people, that's not a problem. So I enjoyed my entire time all day, playing with a great group of people and just you know shooting the shit while the Russians take their turns or whatever. Um, And I think this is a system that it clicks along nicely once everything knows something. I think part of our problem with the Russian side was they were super analyzing each decision, which is fine. I mean, you want to win the game. I get that. Um, But that was the problem with having two commanders on that side. As the Germans, we treated it a little bit differently. Basically, I had my wing of the army and during the Russian... side we were kind of talking about strategy but during my movement phase i moved my side and that was it whereas the russian players were kind of going piece by piece together i wouldn't do that i said if you're going to if you were going to play with 5 or 6 people or 4 whatever i would probably do something like okay you can talk during the other player's turn but during the movement and combat phase you're on your own and i think you could actually make really good pace with the multiplayer game the one, the one problem with that is in the campaign game, everything starts off in that kind of 10 hex column range. I mean, from north to south. So things are a bit crowded to start. But anyways, that's kind of my biggest complaint is the time between turns is, is pretty massive here. There's a lot of counters on the board. That that would be my one critique of the game. Otherwise, stunning Seminage artwork. Seriously, this map is, once you get it all set up is just impressive. Again, that you know, I've his counters are always fine. I'm not one that really I don't really talk about counter art very much because I think unless it's bad, it's usually just fine. Usually what annoys me more is when the counters themselves are flimsy or not of a good quality. But yeah, everything's everything's great here. Highly, highly recommend the game. I'm trying to think if I need to say anything else about Songrad 42. Um, Easily one of my favorite games released in 2019. And I don't... I would love to get this campaign game set up and leave it set up to see it play out. Um, Because I think it's going to tell an interesting story. You know, in our game alone, just... It was exciting. So... I was on the northern flank. When I got across the Don, that was a big thing. And I was like, all right, we're, we're up over here. And on the same turn, James down on the southern flank took Rostov, which is, I think you're going to tell interesting stories as these key defensive positions or these different towns or cities along the way as they fall or as, you know, different armies release or, you know, and once, once that Russian counter offensive starts, I think it's, I really think it's going to paint an interesting story. I'd love to get this set up and leave it set up. And I I don't know what the state of the vassal uh, module is for this game, but I highly recommend the campaign game. The the fall blouse scenarios just, just as good, but I was playing that solo just to learn the rules. That's just kind of the north, the top left map all by itself. There's two other scenarios in the rule book, but I haven't explored them yet great game highly highly recommend it and I highly recommend the series so let's talk about the every war game ever list and let's find a spot for this on the list so this is better than normandy 44 in my opinion I love normandy 44 but this addresses some of the bigger complaints I had the you know kind of the every battle feels the same and this adds just that much more also, I think the replayability, just because of the scope of the game, is higher. Um, so, <clears throat> in, in my opinion, this probably comes in at number 4, just above Battle Hymn Volume 1 and Normandy 44, but probably somewhere shy of Next War, India, Pakistan, and Beyond the Rhine. So those games also suffer from the same thing. You know, you activate everything... You know, Beyond the Rhine, there's a shit ton of stuff on that map. But I think just Beyond the Rhine is a damn good OCS entry. Probably one of my favorites I've played so far. And then Next War, India, Pakistan. Just the, the combat resolution Next War, India, Pakistan is, is one of my favorite I've, I've seen. Um, so, for now, Songrad 42 is going to end up as the fourth best war game on the Every War Game Ever list. Just below Next War, India, Pakistan, but above Battle Hymn and blitz um Normandy 44 sorry spoiler alert okay let's so what i thought i would do is there used to be these series of awards called the Charles S Roberts awards they were named after Charles S Roberts the father of wargaming he founded Avalon Hill and these were given out at Origins for years um they stopped in 2012 i'm not sure why so they started in the 1970s and went all the way up to 2012. I am in no way affiliated with the Charles S Roberts awards or whoever gave them out or origins or anything. And I'm not trying to cramp their style, but what I wanted to do was take some of their categories that they used in 2012 and apply that to the games I played in 2019. And so that's where I've tweaked some of these categories but it's gonna have the same kind of feel. And I'll just provide some comments on each of these games so I don't have an infinite amount of free time. What I thought I would do is, or what I am going to do is, so we'll have a category and we're going to start with best ancients up to. So pre American revolution, uh war game. What I'm going to do is talk about my favorite 2019 publication. And then my favorite new to me, and then maybe some other games that are up for consideration. So I'm only considering games that were released in 2019 and games that I played for the first time in 2019. So the U S civil war isn't going to run the board. You know, Normandy 44 won't be on here. All those games are already excluded. And going forward, when I do this in 2020, hopefully I'll again, cover 2020 publications as kind of their own. And then new to me in 2020, because you know, I can't get to every 2019 release, especially with war games. I mean, it's just so much more of an investment to learn a war game than you know, your standard Euro game. And it's harder to get them to the table and give them a good amount of time uh, to really digest them. Okay, so let's let's get to it. Like I said, the first category is the best ancients or the best pre-American revolutionary board war game. Uh, so considerations here. A game that just fell a little bit short for the new to me 2019 was Hannibal and Hamilcar. Probably just needed more time with it. And also I think the combat resolution in Hannibal and Hamilcar isn't my favorite where you're playing these cards. And if you attack the center, they respond with a center. And if you play a right, they need to respond with a right. And you basically go until they can no longer respond. It's not my favorite. I, I think I found that I just really like a good standard combat results table and check and dice. Um, so that was up for consideration. I played that this year my favorite new to me in 2019 was Genesis. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit later on, but I love, I've only gotten to play about four turns of this, but I can tell you I already like the game. And I know Genesis has its problems. Um, You know, so this is a Richard Berg design. It came out in 2015 from GMT games. One of the biggest knocks against the game is it's unbalanced. And, and I understand why people don't like that, but Man, I—it's just a great civilization expansion game. I can't wait to resume our game of this. Seriously, I would have—you know—it's just—it's just hard to bring four people together to play this, uh, especially with a baby now. But when I do, I'm telling you, I—I I love Genesis. Um, the combat resolution is super interesting. Basically, you're—you uh, roll, and I think the. Your combat results basically determine either you can prevent losses or and you know inflict more losses to the other side. But it captures that okay. Here's your civilization. What can you do with it? How can you expand? And how can you conquer? Um, and I love it. I'm I'm really intrigued by the system. I think compared to something like a game I'm going to talk about a little bit later, um, which is Time of Crisis. You know they're different. Different time periods, obviously, but I consider them similar, especially because you're dealing with the same you know, same area of the world. The decisions I make for my civilization are the decisions I want to be making in a civilization-building game. So I'm not worried about something that's going on on the other side of Europe if I'm playing the Egyptians. I'm worried about my immediate surroundings and what I can do to change those. And I like it. I like the decisions in the game. As far as publications go, I'm going to cheat a little bit here. Uh, SPQR Deluxe. I've talked about this game. It's on the Every War Game Ever list. We did an episode on it. But this new printing of SPQR Deluxe, I think it came out in 2019. Maybe it was a late 2018 release, and I apologize, but uh, it's on this list. Wow, there's so much in that box. And there is a system of rules there with the Great Battles of History that if you really want to spend some time and invest in a series and ancients is your interest. Well, here you go. Um, I think it's a it's a game. If you put in the work, you're gonna get a you're gonna be rewarded for the work you put in. And the product as a whole is well worth every dollar. I mean, just the amount of stuff packed in the box is is fantastic. Sure, the maps are a little plain and boring, but the system from Herman and Berg. This is another GMT release designed by Richard Berg and Mark Herman. It just works, and it's this weird game where I don't think I am gonna enjoy it, but it keeps bringing me back. And uh, yeah, I do. Genesis is more of my cup of tea uh, in terms of gameplay. I guess tactical ancients really isn't my favorite thing, you know. But um, the game is is super interesting, and I really like it. Okay, so let's talk about American Revolution, Napoleonics, basically pre World War Two. From American Revolution going forward, excluding the Civil War, so I've made a category just for the Civil War. Uh, the caveat here is I really didn't play much in this era, but if I had spent more time with Paths of Glory, it would, it would win, right? Um, and whereas I think I have a pretty good feel for what Genesis offers, I think there's still a ton for me to see in Paths of Glory. But man, when I finally played this game, I was super impressed with, I understand why so many people love this game and why it's so highly regarded in the wargaming hobby. Uh, Paths of Glory is fantastic, but it misses out in the, in the awards, although I am talking about it right now, just because I didn't play it enough. Uh, as far as the new to me in 2019, the battles of the American Revolution system, and specifically I'm talking about the tri pack here, uh, I talked about this quite a while ago, this is was a really refined system. I, I hate to use this word because I think people take it to mean something other than how I'm using it, but it's elegant. I think it it really is streamlined and it plays so much faster than I would have thought. And it, it tells an interesting story. The battle resolution is really interesting. I think you can cut out the whole crap about playing the, the different types of, is it cards? I think for, we dropped all that. I, I don't think it's necessary at all, but what a great system. Would love to play it more. I mean, I I see people buy it a lot, like on Board Game Geek and stuff, but I don't see, I don't know, I don't see a whole lot of praise for it. But when I do, it's usually good things to say. I think it gets overshadowed by the big dogs some. Okay, so it's 2019 publications here. This is a little bit win by default, but I think it's a game worth pointing out, and that's Brave Little Belgium. So this is the only, you know, AMREV up to World War II, excluding Civil War. This is only a 2019 game I played, so yeah, it wins by default. Uh, But I applaud what what they did with this system. Yeah, so this is a 2019 spiel released by Ryan Heilman and Dave Shaw, and they have a new game coming out using the same system called White Eagle Defiant. And this game isn't, you know, busting down barriers or or anything. What it is is it's just a nice, quick-playing don't have to spend hours reading rules or prepping it's just a nice filler game for the war game hobby which you don't really see easy easy combat but interesting decisions to be made plus the um the german players the um the german player against the belgians french and british are tasked with kind of weighing uh, it's a chip game, and you may pull chits that end the turn. And in the Germans, you really want as much time as possible to activate all your armies, which isn't guaranteed. Uh, and so basically, there's a pressure-luck element to activating those armies where you can basically force them to activate, but you're going to commit uh, wartime atrocities. And if you commit too many of those, you lose the game. And so that's a nice little element. It's a neat little game and worth checking out. The Hollenspiel holiday sale is over, but uh, it would have been worth picking up from the sale for sure. I will keep my eye on White Eagle to find. I'm sure we'll talk about that in January with our Looking Forward to 2020 episode. Okay, let's talk about the best Civil War board war game. You know, other than the U.S. Civil War, I really only played two other Civil War games. Uh, Battle Him was last year, which is a fantastic game. But the new-to-me game was... I'm, I'm using Roads to, Getty, to Gettysburg 2 as the new to me in 2019, but really it's the whole Great Campaigns of the American Civil War system that was new to me in 2019. Oh man, just what a... First off, the rules are much easier than I think what the game looks like. I think it looks like a beast, but really the rules are pretty straightforward. And I think once you get down, once you hammer home the fact that this is more of a game about maneuvering and controlling the right type of terrain and positioning your armies the better you're going to get at this because it's not really about forcing that big battle it's about manipulating your armies to make sure when that battle comes that you're going to have the best odds in your favor Um, super easy to learn a wide range of scenarios you know there's quick little two turn scenarios with not a lot of guys on the field or there are these massive campaigns which i haven't played yet but uh, I hope to. I think it would be an excellent experience to play through a campaign game. Okay, As far as 2019 publications go, uh, my favorite would be to take Washington. So if you listen to this podcast, you know I've had this interest in Line of Battle and just never got it to the table. I finally played it this year, and I'll admit that I'm a little bit more excited about GCACW than I am Line of Battle right now. I think Line of Battle is one of those games like SPQR that if you put the time in, the reward is there. Way more detailed than Great Campaigns of the American Civil War, just a completely different scale, but beautiful artwork, beautiful counters, an interesting command system, and an interesting combat resolution. I really need to spend more time on this, but um, easily my favorite Civil War game that came out in 2019. I will say there are some games I haven't played yet that came out in 2019. Immediately coming to mind is uh, Mark Herman's Gettysburg game. Um, But those are just games I didn't get a chance to play. Okay. Uh, Best World War II era board war game. A couple games I want to point out here. Baptism by Fire and Operation Mercury. Um, I voiced my opinions on Baptism by Fire quite a bit. You know, the rules are dense. They're a dog to work through. But... I really think something like BCS is kind of, maybe that's the future where we don't have this you go, I go. Instead, it's this, all right, you activate a small chunk of your army, I'll activate a small chunk of mine. I think it just makes the gameplay a little bit more fun for both sides. I just need to play it more. Um, And that's something I would like to do in 2020 is, is revisit the Battalion Combat series. Operation Mercury. Oh, man. So this is a Grand Tactical series. I played a little bit of this before the baby came and whoa super cool system I have just barely scratched the surface my play was just a learning play with a lot of hand-holding would love to get back to this any of the grand tactical series but particularly operation mercury just because I find the crete invasions so interesting Um, so those just missed out just because I didn't spend enough time with them so new to me in 2019 it's advanced squad leader um, Beyond the Rhine is probably right up there, but we'll face that battle when I put Advanced Squad Leader on the Every reward game ever list. But man, and I'm I'm going with the starter kits here just because I've just barely scratched the full deal. But ASL is the clear winner for me for right now. World War II Tactical it just does so many things and it does them well. Again, here's I guess if you get in a really big scenario, it, it falls into the you go i go but because you're reacting to what your opponent does constantly it's not really that big a issue um i mean i think there's a reason this game has been around for as long as it has and why it's still you know this is a game that this is the only thing that some guys play fantastic game all around my big goal in 2020 is to play a lot more asl full asl i would like to play once a month but i think that's going to be a little ambitious Okay, 2019 publication. I did not go with a um, ASL circuit 4 here just cuz I thought that'd be wouldn't be as interesting. I'm going to go with Songrad 42. It's great. Everything I said before, I I really do think it's my favorite in that Mark Simonich series. Great game all around. I think it would be deserving. Okay, so the next category is boast boast best post World War 2 era. Um, so this is Anything after World War II going forward. No 2019 releases make this list, just because I didn't play them. A couple comments on games that probably would have if I would played them. Silver Bayonet, uh, I just played a real quick scenario once. But man, the game is gorgeous, looks to be super interesting. Um, my goal is to revisit that with Anthony in 2020, uh, but I think both of our schedules are crazy right now. And the other one is Korea, the forgotten war. I I've said it before. I think Korea, when it's all said and done will be my favorite, uh, OCS entry. It's just, we only played through four turns of the full campaign game. So I really have only scratched the surface. So the best new to me post-World War II game is next war, India, Pakistan. I did an episode on it. Next War Con was one of my favorite experiences of 2019. I'm glad to see it's coming back in 2020 as part of Historic Fest, but just sitting down for uh, two days, I had to miss the last day, and just diving into Next War was quite the experience. The game can be a bit of a slog, but one, I find the decisions you make in the game are interesting, so um, as the Pakistani player, you know, where where do you launch your offensive and then the as an Indian player, just trying to hold out as long as you can until you can launch a counteroffensive. But, and I've said it before, the combat results, the combat resolution in Next War, the Next War series, is probably my favorite of all time. Just the modifiers and the things you're taking in consideration for whatever reason are just super satisfying, and I really enjoy them. Okay. Uh, so best science fiction or fantasy board war games of 2019, a couple quick mentions new to me, space empires, 4X, just, we didn't finish our game. Um, but I think I'd like it still want to play it. Still want to play the expansions Root is on this list. Um, I think root came out in 2018, but I didn't play it till 2019. Great game all around plays surprisingly quick. But it just misses out to... So, best new to me, um, science fiction. Now, this isn't really a war game, but it's in that same feel. Um, I think there's a lot of crossover, probably with this game, and War Gamers. And that's High Frontier. Whoa, man. I talked about this, in the, I think, in the last episode. What a great story. This game tells super interesting stories. And... I think those first few players are more about just learning what not to do and what to do than really maximizing and focusing on the game. But that journey is so fun. I think the journey of learning this game is one of the best I've had. Um, it's one of the few games where you spend four, five, six hours on and then immediately turn around and go, I want to play that again. And that's how I felt. Um, really look forward to the new edition. Hopefully this doesn't just fall by the wayside and I never played again. It's a game I really enjoy. That's High Frontier 3rd Edition. There's a new fourth edition coming out, If you, but if you're just now hearing about it, you already missed the Kickstarter. Uh, best 2019 release, I'm going to go with Fantasy Trip uh, Legacy Edition. So this is a giant-ass box from Steve Jackson Games that includes Melee and Wizard, which are very much hex encounter, tactical fantasy warfare games. So I'm stretching it a bit here to call this a war game, but there's so much in this box and it's so quick and pick up. To, you know, generate a character with these points, give them all the cool-ass gear you want to give them, or maybe some spells, or however you want to design these characters, launch them into uh, this arena and just go at each other. Um, It's like doing Fortnite in a board game format. I mean, that's really what it is, other than you're doing, you know, fantasy warfare instead of, you know, shotguns and and whatever else. Really fun game. Um, You know, you don't have to go get this giant-ass box. You can just get melee and wizard and have plenty of fun there's a whole rpg setting you can run with this you know melee and wizard is what steve jackson games took and that was the basis for gurps um but the rule book for this is just a handful of pages awesome awesome fun just silly fun you know you don't have to be too invested in it okay uh will keep moving along here best magazine or small board war game uh, new to me in 2019 is Operation Pegasus. We just talked about this last episode. For a 40-year magazine war game, it still shines. It has its problems, but whoa. It, um, that's pretty good for 40 years, I think, to hold my attention that well. Um, several games I didn't get a chance to play that I would have liked to have talked about. Mark Herman's Gettysburg title and Harold Buchanan's American Revolution game that he had to come out in the magazine I just didn't get a chance to get them to the table. Brave Little Belgium, again, two-time winner here. (laughs) A little of this is by default, I guess, but it is a a neat enough game um, for best small war game. Again, I think that's the perfect fit for Brave Little Belgium. Small war game doesn't take much time. You can knock it out in under an hour probably. Best expansion or supplement for an existing game. I haven't used any of the next war supplements, so I can't, I'm not going to go there. I would probably say ASL starter kit for the Pacific theater rules are a lot of fun. Just how the Japanese interact, you know, how they take casualties is, you know, they don't break basically. Um, It's really interesting, Um, solid starter kit entry. I'm, I'm a big fan of the starter kit stuff. I've said it a million times, and so if you if for whatever reason you're holding off on ASL because you want to get the full experience first, I, I've seen people say this on Twitter, and I think I acted the same way before. They're like waiting for the rulebook to come in print, and they're waiting for all this stuff to come in print. It's like, no, you can go get a perfectly... A, a, a great ASL experience, and you don't have to wait on all this shit to become available, or you don't have to go sink a few hundred dollars in and getting five modules or, or whatever you're trying to do. And it's not like... You learn it, and then you have to forget it all for the full game. Most of the stuff transitions over really well. Some of the like retreat or the routing rules are, are different in the full game and you can like surrender and, and that stuff. But don't don't worry about that. You get a, a great ASL experience and all this stuff's available. I try to do starter kit one and three, and I try to skip two. I wouldn't recommend that. Do one. Play through it. This the game is fun by its own. You don't even have to worry about the other ASL stuff. You could stop right there and have a great experience. Go on to two, play with the big guns or artillery and stuff like that. And I so I jumped ahead to four because four has some scenarios where you don't have to worry about vehicles, but then worry about three and then the rest of four with the vehicles and stuff. Once you have a good basis with one and two, I think it's. I actually do think it's important to have that basis with two before you go on to three. Some people may tell you otherwise. I tried to skip two just to just, you know, save 20 bucks or whatever, but um, I think it's fine. Uh, best board game graphics. Yeah, so either that's beautiful Stongrad 42 map or the Red Factory's um, Charles Kibler map for ASL. Uh, that came out in 2019. Haven't played it yet, but I've taken it out and, oh man, it's just, it's such an interesting and it's unique. I was really looking forward to using those maps and playing Commissar's House this past weekend. I'm sad it didn't work out, but I'm sure we'll do it soon. Either one of those would win best board game graphic, in my opinion. Best reprint. So new releases in 2019, SPQR deluxe, tons of bang for your buck, tons of stuff in that box, all high quality. As far as new to me, Roads to Gettysburg Excuse me, Roads to Gettysburg 2. Again, there's so and you could I would even throw Atlanta's ours in there for consideration as well both of them have so much stuff packed in the box that you get a ton of great campaigns of american civil war content available in one box okay that that's it for 2019 i don't i don't know about this you know this is our first you know best of episode that we've done i think it's an okay format maybe i should have saved like the big ones for last or whatever. I had a lot of great experiences in 2019, and I want to thank everyone who's made uh, taking the time to listen to my podcast, just my rambling thoughts, or is sat down to play a game with me. I've met a lot of great people over this last year, and it's been uh, it's been a great experience. Either going to Donkey Kong as kind of my first ever game convention, or doing Next War Con here in Overland Park or going over to St. Louis and doing the game day with designer with Mike Denson, or just starting up the Kansas Historical Wargaming Group. I think it's been a great experience all year round. I just want to say thank you to everyone who's given their time to listen to me, just some dude, ramble about his thoughts on wargames. So thank you. Uh, 20,000, 2019 was a great year, and I want to thank you all for helping me make it a great year. I did get a few listener comments about favorite games, game experiences in 2019, and I'm just going to run through those real quick. Uh, Sven said Fields of Fire 2. Sounded like that was a nice release or rest from uh, a third kid arriving and he'd pop down and play some Fields of Fire uh, Volume 2 specifically. So that's his favorite game in 2019. An interesting, I don't know, so far the Fields of Fire bug hasn't caught me. I think just the the rule book is so daunting and it's just something that hasn't caught my eye, but I know people like it. So that was Spins favorite game in 2019. Uh, Rich from the chance of gaming podcast said his game experience was St. Louis historical gaming society's game day with designer with Mike Denson. I agree. That was a great time. Uh, His game of the year was red storm. And like I said, go listen to that interview with it's done by rich Adam and Doug Bush on Red storm and rich just geeks out the whole time. And it's awesome. You can tell that this is something that's is super appealing to him. And, uh, I, it really comes through in that, that interview. Simon says blue water Navy in Gallipoli. So Gallipoli is something that's caught my eye a few times, but I just don't, I just don't think I'd ever get it played. Also, I've heard the rule book is a real beast. And it so would be cool to try someday. I just, for the price tag, I don't think I can justify it. Now, Blue Water Navy may be something worth looking into because of my current interest in naval warfare games. I, I know that's a compass game, but I don't know anything else about it. So I'm going to look into that. Okay, Bruce, the Vertical War Gamer. So he says his best uh, 2019 published game was Last 100 Yards. Kind of in conjunction with that, his best experience was his the game day with designer with Mike Denson. His favorite new-to-him game was Here I Stand, which is a game I'd really like to play as well. I went ahead and grabbed a copy. Yeah, I would like to play that. Maybe someday we can meet up in Columbia for a Here I Stand game or something like that. So, Columbia is kind of exactly in the middle between the St. Louis Wargamers and the Kansas City Historical Wargaming group. And there's a there's a board game store that allows open gaming in Columbia, Missouri. So, I don't know there's rumors of maybe trying to do something someday. We'll see. All right. And then Mitch says, obviously in addition to next war Korea, second edition, that's kind of cheating. Cause that like just came out last week, brazen chariots, which is the new release in the battalion Comet series. Yeah. Like I said, I think this is something I want to spend some time on in 2020, the rule books, a dog, but I think now that I have a basis, it would be, it would be interesting to see. Um, yeah, I, I would like to play any of those titles, either revisit, um, Katherine, Pass, what was that game called? Baptism by Fire or the new one or go back and do Battle of the Bulge. Somehow Battle of the Bulge is a game that I've you know, I have Arden 44, but you know, people always talk about there being this plethora of bulge games. Somehow I've avoided I've avoided the bulge. Okay. So what I thought I would do real quick with just the last little bit here is there are some games that I played in the past that I don't think I'm ever going to dedicate an episode to. And I thought I would just give some passing comments on them and plug them in on Every every war game ever list. This would also be an opportunity for me to recalibrate, move some games around. As I went through, I didn't see, I didn't feel like there was anything that needed to be adjusted. But there were some games as I was going through all my games. I was like, oh, I probably would never sit down and do an episode on Memoir 44. So let's... Let's find a home for it and we'll just run, run through the list. And what I thought I would do here is I'll just start from the bottom and go up. So 18 is that. So this is now we started the episode with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, with 11 games on the War game ever list. And at the end, we're going to end up with 18. So 18 is still Zeppelin Raider. I'm not going to, I'm not going to revisit any of the, the titles, uh, Titan falls that number 16. I wanted to add to the list. Ottoman sunset. So I've kind of alluded talked about. I think that solo war games just aren't for me. Um, This is a solid entry in the States of siege series. And even though it's so low on this list, I do think it's a game. Now I think these games are going for like crazy because the publisher like went under, right? So you can't get these games anymore for like a $15 game when I picked it up or whatever it was, is absolutely worth it. It played really well. It wasn't, um, it was fast enough where I didn't fall into, I don't know. It was light enough where the lack of interesting decisions was okay. If that makes sense. Like, you know, Zeppelin Raider was all this work, But the decisions weren't interesting. And I thought that your allocation basically in Ottoman Sunset, States of siege, so you have all these fronts closing on the Ottoman Empire, and you're just basically trying to push back those fronts and keep them from basically uh, knocking you out of the war. Super light game. Not probably worth tracking down now unless you find it for super cheap and want to give it a go. But a good, if you're familiar at all with the States of Siege system, I think it's a good entry in that system. Uh, Time of Crisis, the Roman Empire, and Turmoil. So this is a deck builder war game from GMT that I think people really like. And what I've learned over you know three or four plays of this game is it's not for me. My biggest complaint is, yeah, the deck building's fine. It's it's an interesting. It works okay. But, okay, so let's say you start out in... I don't remember where all you could start out, but let's say you start off in North Africa in one of the areas there. I feel like you the decisions you're making really aren't logical. And maybe this is just my ignorance of what was happening during the Roman empire during this time. But if, if I'm set up and I have my, the starting of my empire in North Africa, why am I like placing governors hundreds of miles away on the other side of the Mediterranean with no connection to where my home base is? Or why am I even concerned with those things? So it's kind of like you're hopping around the map responding to these different things just taking over this colony or whatever not because it just because it's a gamey decision not because it's a historical decision and i I just don't like it whereas in genesis i'm expanding my empire because it it makes sense for my empire i'm not you know rushing some guy over to spain if i'm the egyptians or whatever i mean that doesn't really make sense and so i i feel like the decisions you make in time of crisis are gamey decisions where if you're making historical or military decisions, you're not going to win this game. And I don't know, does that, does that make sense? I guess really the decisions you make as an empire or, you know, new empire or new governor or whatever you're supposed to be playing as in time of crisis. Those aren't decisions that I make. I think the game mechanics are fine, you know? Um, well, other than, that the mechanics force you into decisions that I don't like making. They're okay, and I get why people like this game, and it's cool that it's a deck builder. But yeah, it's just not for me, and that's going to come in at number fifteen, slightly above that. Memoir forty-four. Um, if you haven't played it, the Commands and Colors, so what's it called? Yeah, Commands and Colors series by Richard Borg. So, Commands and Colors: Ancients, Commands and Colors: Napoleonics, Memoir forty-four. Red Alert, all of these games. Memoir 44, uh, I love it because I can play it with my wife. It's a game she legitimately enjoys playing. We play lots of Euro games that she likes, but war games really haven't been a cup of tea, except Memoir 44, which holds her attention. She really enjoys. I just don't... If if we look at the decision-making, you know, I, I constantly hammer that point home. Memoir 44 is a perfectly serviceable game. I think it's a, a fine game to have. I own tons of it. I'm never going to get rid of it. It's just there's so many other things I would play that present more interesting decisions. So many times in Memoir 44, you're just responding to the cards that you have available to you. And really also, you're just trying to kill stuff. I think there are better entries in the Commands and Colors series now that I've played them. Again, I think Memoir 44 is an okay game. I'm not saying it's bad or terrible or anything like that. It's just there's so many other things I would play now. But I would still also play Memoir 44 just to be able to play a little war game with my wife. Um, so that comes in at number 14. Holdfast Fast Korea was at 13. Number 12 is going to be Bloody April 1917, Air War Over Heirs, France. I talked about this, and if you remember, here's another game where I think if this is something that really interested you, you could invest all of this time, but I don't know what the payout would be. Where I think the payout with SPQR... Or line of battle. I think the reward is going to be there. By investing the time in a fairly complicated rule set. Um, I just don't know what's there with Bloody April. Because you're flying these planes from 1917. Where you could just go over to Downtown. Or uh, Red Storm. And fly all these jets. And not be as worried about. There's a lot of meticulous detail to worry about in Bloody April. What I've heard and looking forward to in Red Storm. Is there's just not quite as much specific detail and maybe you won't get as lost in the weeds as much. A fun game. I mean, being 12th on the all-time list, granted we're only at 18 games, is still pretty good. Uh, it's just a game that I don't think I want to put the work into and revisit, and so that's why it ends up at number 12, slightly above Hold Fast Korea. 11 is Angola. Angola is fine. Um, the more I think about it, the less praise I have for it. I do think it's cool that it's 2v2. But if you want a better 2v2 game that takes less time and really has about as meaningful combat, I recommend 1754 Conquest, the French and Indian War. So this is from the Birth of America series, which is a very light war game. You have cubes that represent your forces. This particular one I think is my favorite, just based off the... Um, the rules regarding how different forces react and how the naval the naval rules and all of those things. There's just a little bit more detail in this title than the other Birth of America series. Um, in this game, this is a card-driven game, and you will activate certain amounts of armies. And basically, when you go fight a battle, you fight battle until the last man's standing. And you may have, you can uh, recruit Indians to fight on your side, and they respond in different ways. Um, and you can have better like train trained, uh, you know trained regulars where you can have militia fighting. The interesting thing here is the turn order is always different. So how you activate, um, you're gonna draw these uh, these blocks out of the bag and that tells you who goes. What's interesting here is sometimes you are forced to play, truce cards so if the only card that you have in your hand to activate an army is a truce card you have to play it and once a side has played both of their truce cards the game ends so the game in mechanics in the 1754 in this whole series are super interesting and, and it's really what drives the game it's a very light game it is 2v2 you can also play it 1v1 either way I've done it both ways I think it's great I would actually think this is a little bit better than Angola because uh, Angola the the time you spend To read about how all these different You know Pieces in your army work the, the payoff isn't really there I mean when it all boils down to the combat in Angola Really isn't that good I think there's other things in Angola that make it better 1754 You don't invest near as much time And you can set it up and play it And be done in an hour and a half And have a perfectly serviceable war game It's pretty light but I do recommend it if you want that two v two experience. I haven't played the other titles in the series, but when I bought seventeen fifty four I did quite a bit of research this was a couple years ago when I bought it. I did quite a bit of research into the other titles and seventeen fifty four seemed to be the most um have the most interesting decisions to use that phrase over and over and over again. There's also eight seventy eight Vikings, uh, which I haven't played, but if you want to get away from this time period. If you want to get away from the French Indian war, the American revolution, you can go play, uh, Vikings operation. Pegasus nine in, uh, SPQR eight Normandy 44 is seven. And then I think what's going to come in at number six is blitzkrieg legend. So this is an OCS entry for the German invasion of France solid OCS as a whole is very solid. What I'm kind of taking into consideration here is, you know what OCS games would I play more? And I think we played a group game of Blitzkrieg Legend over a series of weekends. We didn't finish the campaign, but there's just so much on the map to start with, and it's such a big game that I think Blitzkrieg Legend doesn't quite rise to the level of Beyond the Rhine. Beyond the Rhine, I think, is you're using very similar maps in Beyond the Rhine and uh, Blitzkrieg Legend, uh, just different time periods of the war and who's on the offensive. I think Blitzkrieg Legend. Isn't quite as good as Beyond the Rhine. I don't know. I just enjoyed my experience with Beyond the Rhine a little bit more. But I think it falls a little bit short of Battle Him, just because Battle Him plays so smoothly and it, there's not this giant gap of between turns and whatever. I mean, let's let's be real. Anything eight and up. So going. I mean, Operation Pegasus at number nine is a perfectly fine game. It's a good game. I recommend it for the price. Really, SPQR Deluxe at number eight and up are all fantastic, probably some of the best war games ever made, right? People will probably, I may get some flack for that. I don't think people like Battle Him as much as I do, but I, I really think it's a great game. So to say that Blitzkrieg Legend is number six out of the top of every war game ever made, again, we've only done 18 of them, I think that's still a perfectly appropriate position for it. I just think there's better OCS entries that I would play first and I'll spend more time talking about those. I just don't think I'll dedicate an episode to Blitzkrieg legend. Okay. That is going to do it. That's going to wrap up 2019. The first year of the podcast is done. This is episode 11, but we were able to get out 12 episodes, which I think is pretty impressive in the first year and with a baby on the way and a whole bunch of other stuff going on because we have these 11 episodes plus the interview with mitch land uh next in january we're gonna do a kind of looking forward to 2020 you know what games are on the radar gaming goals uh what we have planned for this podcast by then i should also have my first couple plays of Axis empires to tower creek under my belt that's scheduled to kick off right at the beginning of january i should be completely healthy by then i really hope so that'd be a disappointment. Uh, but yeah, we're, we're in good shape to keep rolling in January. Also in 2020, we'll see the return to designers on the mic. Um, like I said, I kind of tucked that away for when I need it because of life commitments. But I've got some really good gaming planned for uh, the beginning of the year. So we're going to have plenty of content to keep us rolling. I hope everyone had a wonderful Christmas, wonderful holiday season. Uh, happy New Year to all of you. Thank you so much for making this first year of History on the Table in my eyes, a success. I think it has been so much more successful than I ever would have planned. And I think it's been a lot of fun. So, again, thank you. Happy New Year. If you have any questions or comments, you can always email me. at his, It's podcast at gmail.com. Historytablepodcast at gmail.com. And, again, thanks for listening, even though I probably don't sound great with uh, with this crud I got right now. Uh, Twitter at History Table Pod, at History Table Pod. Here's your reminder for Historic Fest. January 10th is the cutoff for the early bird registration. Historic Fest is a three day war game convention and historical board game convention in Overland Park, Kansas, scheduled for June 26th, 27th, and 28th. We have all kinds of events, including the return of Next War Con which is a three-day separate convention dedicated to playing and learning about and discussing Next War with the series designer, Mitch Land. We have ASL game content. We have series designer Mike Denson for Last 100 Yards to come up and run some Last 100 Yards content for us. That's a great game that if you've been on the fence, I highly recommend you check it out. We have all kinds of prizes. We're gonna be giving away games, game storage. I mean, we have great campaigns of American Civil War games to give away, front-toward enemy games to give away, uh, ASL content to give away, gift cards, all kinds of good stuff. Go check out our website or join the Facebook group. I'll post links in the show notes. Okay, that is gonna do it. All right, I will talk to you all in 2020.